Yes, welcome in to the Chiefs Zone Podcast. I am your host, Farzin Vasugi, and thank you guys, as always, for downloading and listening to the podcast. Appreciate you guys doing so. Be sure you guys do subscribe to the podcast by doing so on iTunes. Interact with me on social media, facebook.com slash sportscasterfarzine, and follow me on Twitter and interact with me on there. Send me a tweet at farzine twenty one. Uh, I'll tell you what, there's going to be a lot of interaction this week. A lot happened over the weekend, and I'm sure it's going to pick up this weekend as the Kansas City Chiefs now know who they're going to play this week. The Pittsburgh Steelers, or a rematch from week four. And we listen, I, I think as Chiefs fans, we all knew it was coming because the Chiefs would have, were either going to play the Texans or the Steelers. The Texans, of course, prevailed on Saturday against the Oakland Raiders. So by then, you just have to wait by Sunday who the Chiefs were going to play. And no matter who, uh, well, actually, I mean, it, it did it did matter for the, uh, well, who, whoever would end up coming to Arrowhead. If it was the Dolphins winning over the Steelers, it would have been the Texans. If the Steelers won, then the Steelers come to Kansas City. The narrative was going to be, hey, look, the Steelers or the Texans beat the Chiefs. Can they do it again? I mean, I'm already seeing it from non-Chiefs fans uh, on social media talking about how the Steelers blew out the the Chiefs in Week 4. It's already being talked about on the media. ESPN was pretty big on using Week 4. And uh, in, in, in a couple of national pundits, I mean, they've taken... Uh, they've addressed the fact that Week 4 was Week 4. Here's my thing, man. Whatever happened in the regular season... Forget about it. The only advantage you have this time around is that you're at home. And the Steelers are on the road. So anything that happened in the regular season, that can that, that can all go away. Because let's not forget, I think the New York Giants are such a great example of why the regular season means absolutely nothing once it's playoff time. The year that the New York Giants pulled off that big upset in the Super Bowl over the Patriots... The Giants had lost to the Dallas Cowboys twice that year in the regular season. As you may remember, Terrell Owens, Tony Romo, a terrific year for for the Cowboys that season. They had a first-round bye. If I'm not mistaken, they were the number one seeded team. The Giants went over to Dallas and came away with a big win. Survived and moved on. And, of course, they had that crazy win at Green Bay. And then in the Super Bowl, they beat a team who they lost to in Week 17. So... The teams who they lost to in the regular season, the Dallas Cowboys twice and the New England Patriots, they lost to those teams a a total of three times. They beat them when it mattered the most in the NFC Divisional Round and in the Super Bowl. So by all means, Kansas City losing to the Steelers means nothing. I remember so many Chiefs fans were so amped up about last year's game on the road uh, at New England and... A lot of Chiefs fans were talking about how the Chiefs tore them apart at Arrowhead a couple of years ago on Monday Night Football. First of all, that was the previous season, and even if it was the same season, what happened at the time doesn't mean much. If that was a Week 16 or Week 17 game, okay, maybe it's more relevant to the discussion and to preview the game, just just having a discussion about the game leading into it. But a lot of these game, a lot of these rematches that we're seeing happened before midway through the season. 
So listen, we'll of course touch on what happened in week four, but I'm not going to get too big on that because uh, it was week four. Tyreek Hill, yes, he did have a kick return touchdown in the game or a punt return. I can't remember which one. I think it was a punt return that got called back. Uh, Tyreek Hill, he, he had not emerged yet. This offense was still figuring a lot of things out. Uh, Travis Kelsey, I, he was he got off to a very slow start and did a lot better as the season went on. The defense played a lot better, especially against uh, tougher opponents. Not to say the Steelers aren't. The Steelers are one of the better offenses in the NFL the, the past decade, really, especially when you have Big Ben under center. So this is a this is a Chiefs team that's evolved quite a lot since Week Four. What what happened on October the second on Sunday Night Football is completely irrelevant. And so what's going to happen this this Sunday at Arrowhead when these two teams meet for a rematch. So definitely going to be a, a different game for sure. And listen, I'll just say it now. I said this uh, last week on one of the podcasts. I don't remember which, which episode. But I said that anytime that I have done this podcast when the Chiefs have gone to the playoffs, I've always predicted the Chiefs would win. I, I had never predicted against the Chiefs, and I admit some bias to that. So listen, I'll just say it right now. I mean, our preview podcast is going to be later this week, but I'll just say it right now. I am picking the Chiefs to win. How do I think the Chiefs will win? We'll talk about that later this week, and speaking of later this week, for the uh, second episode of the podcast this week, that podcast will come out uh, at the very, it, it should be out late Wednesday night. At the latest, it should be available on iTunes Thursday morning, so you've got really what four day, three three and a half days to be able to listen to that. We'll have the Chiefs preview. We're gonna have Max Shepman, the former host of the Steel Pit podcast. He's gonna be coming back. Love having Max on. I think he's been uh, uh, the guest we've had on here more than anybody, uh, especially recently, the past couple of years. He was on last year. Uh, he came on this year. Uh, we pre- previewed the Chiefs and Steelers game on Sunday Night Football, and he's gonna be back with us again to preview this big playoff game between the Chiefs and the Steelers. It's Kansas City's first playoff game at Arrowhead Stadium in six years, and last time the Chiefs had a playoff game, that was against the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Not a a pretty game. The only good thing that did happen was Jamal Charles' 31-yard touchdown run against the Ravens, and that was Kansas City's first postseason lead in, I don't remember how long, uh, I, I think since they last had won a playoff game, uh, maybe maybe they had a lead in another game before that. I do remember that in 2003 when they played the Colts, the Chiefs never let in that football game. When they played the Colts again in 2006, the 2006-2007 season, Herm Edwards' first year, the Chiefs did not have a postseason lead. They did have a, a big lead, as we all know, against the Colts uh, when the Chiefs went on the road in Andy Reid's first year, but uh, overall, uh, this is a much different Chiefs team. Uh, I, I really do. I, like I said last week, I, since 2003, and all bias aside, this is the most confident I have felt that the Chiefs have a shot at going to and possibly winning the Super Bowl. And I think a lot of people keep saying that this Chiefs team, you don't know what they're going to do. They, they they dominate for for one quarter against the Raiders and the Titans, and then they disappear the next. They, against the Falcons, they, they didn't have a second-half touchdown from the offense. So the way that this team is, I know that's a concern, but at the same time, I think that mystery right there is pretty dangerous for the Steelers, the Patriots, or the Texans, whoever 
comes out alive. Most likely the Patriots in that game. To me, if this is a team that I don't know what in the hell they're going to do come game day, I think that that's it from a coach's standpoint. Listen, this is why I, I'm a goofball here talking right, right behind a microphone and not coaching. But I don't think it takes a genius to realize that these coaches spend a lot of hours studying game film and knowing how mysterious the Chiefs are. I think from a coach's standpoint, you can study all the game film you want. You can study Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey all you want. But at the end of the day, with the mysterious football team we have in Kansas City, I think it poses a big problem and really a mismatch for some opposing teams. And again, maybe this is my bias talking here. It probably is. But from I'm looking at the more optimistic standpoint that, look, yeah, the Chiefs have had some rare wins against the Broncos, the way they came back right before the end of regulation, the pick two against the Atlanta Falcons, some of the notable comebacks against the Chargers and the Panthers, dominating for just one quarter and giving away the football three times against the Raiders. I mean, let's not be shy about this. The Chiefs have indeed been lucky in some of their wins, but again, great teams just find a way to, to be lucky. There, are, There's a reason why bad teams like the the Browns and the 49ers aren't lucky. They're just they're not good. They're horrible. So when you see great teams, and listen, I I know Chiefs fans get so focused up on how the Chiefs barely won a lot of their games, but listen, I, and this is a challenge just to any football fan. Let's pick a team that you realistically, and other than your own team, your favorite team, pick a team that you realistically think will win the Super Bowl. Follow your Chiefs as you always do. But also follow that team. Let's just say the Patriots, because the Patriots are always the heavy favorites to win the championship. The Patriots, even in some of their games, they have a lot of close contests. The Chiefs dominated Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Jets earlier this year when the Patriots and Jets played uh, in one of their games. I can't remember if it was on Foxborough or uh, or, or, or at the Jets. The Jets gave the Patriots a run for their money. It was pretty close in the second half until the Patriots tried to close the game and make it a one-sided contest in the fourth quarter, whereas the Chiefs, they were dominating Ryan Fitzpatrick the entire game. So listen, even the best teams, they they have a narrow win. They may even lose a game that that they shouldn't have lost. I think looking back at the season, the Texans game, I mean, gosh, if we had the offense in the second half playing the way they did in week two, I'd like to think they would have won that football game easily. Uh, the the Titans and Buccaneers games, of course, those are the two big games that a lot of Chiefs fans look at. And listen, it's not like the Chiefs lost to any horrible teams. The Buccaneers got going in the second half trying to make that playoff push, and the Titans, they were right there. I mean, they were competing with the Colts and the Texans for a playoff spot. So it's not like the Chiefs lost to the Browns, kind of kind of like how the Chargers did to the Browns in Week 16. It's not like you lost to the Jets or the Chargers twice, teams that finished below 500. The Chiefs, when they lost, they lost to some good competition. Yeah, they had a narrow victory over the Jacksonville Jaguars, but guess what? You'll take it because a win, a win is a win at the end of the day. That is all that matters. You take the win, and wins don't come easy in sports, especially in the National Football League. So you take it. 
Like I said, later on this week, we'll touch on the Chiefs and Steelers matchup. We'll preview that. Uh, we'll have Max Shetman on for a few minutes on the podcast to talk about that. Great guy. Always love talking to him. He's doing great things in uh, South Florida, uh, working for the media there. So we'll definitely have him on, and uh, he'll uh, he'll give us his input on the Chiefs and Steelers this week. I, I know I know he'll he'll be picking the Steelers to win, of course. So uh, that should not as come as a, as a surprise. Uh, if he does pick the Chiefs, that that would definitely be a surprise. On my end, I've said it before, man. Uh, Big Ben and Antonio Brown, uh, best quarterback to pass catching duo in the NFL. Just the best. It really is. Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady, I mean, they're like a 1B. Uh, Big Ben and uh, Brown are 1A. If Gronk was healthy, I, I mean, I would easily put the Patriots and Gronk. Uh, Brady and the Gronk, I should say, over the Steelers. But uh, it, the way the Steelers just move the football, especially with Antonio Brown, uh, just really incredible to see. And it'll be interesting to see how the Chiefs try to stop that. Uh, the Chiefs did do some good things in Week 16 of the 2014 season on the road against the Steelers, only allowing 20 points in that game, but could not muster a touchdown in that game, had to settle for four field goals uh, in that game. Uh, the, the game against... Uh, Kansas City uh, between the Chiefs and Steelers last season when Landry Jones filled in. I mean, look, uh, forget about that one. Uh, it was Landry Jones filling in. And I know I mentioned earlier what happened in the regular season doesn't matter. But these two teams, the reason I'm bringing up these past games, these two teams are going to study each other's game films when they had played each other and other games as well. All right, a couple of uh, a pair of breaking news that came out Sunday morning. Uh, just want to touch on those for just a moment. Uh, first of all, uh, it was reported by Ian Rappaport. Ian Rappaport uh, had a pair of breaking news re- regarding the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, he mentioned that the Chiefs are working on a contract extension for head coach Andy Reid. Uh, listen, you you just do it for Andy Reid. Uh, he absolutely deserves it. He is forty three and twenty one. In his 64 games as a Chiefs coach. And I know we get so critical of Andy Reid and what he does with the play calling and whatnot. But at the end of the day, Andy Reid, in the four seasons he's been here, he has the best winning percentage in the, in franchise history at 671. Behind him, it's pretty close. But it's, it's uh, Hank Stram. He had a 642 with the Texans and a 622 with the Chiefs. So he's pretty high up there. Marty Schottenheimer, not not too far behind with a 634 winning percentage. And then Dick Vermeule, a lot of people would think that he's higher. He's actually not. He has a 550. However, that is still good for fourth best behind Schottenheimer, Stram, and Andy Reid. So the the fact that Andy Reid, in his short amount of time here, and by the way, Andy Reid, He's the third uh, coach in Chiefs history to guide the team to a playoff when the others being Marty Schottenheimer and Hank Stram. If the Chiefs do go all the way and win the Super Bowl, Andy Reid will surpass Marty Schottenheimer for most postseason wins as a Chiefs coach. Marty Schottenheimer was 3-7 and seven, uh, in the playoffs as the head coach of the Chiefs. Uh, Hank Stram with the Texans 0-1 with the Chiefs. Uh, four and two, so a total of four and three uh, during his time with the Texans. 
and the Chiefs, where Schottenheimer was 3-7. and seven. Uh, It's worth noting other coaches that did help the team get to the playoffs but couldn't win. Uh, John Mankovich, Dick Vermeil, Herm Edwards, and Todd Haley. Uh, of course, uh, and the Chiefs had a little bit of luck there. Uh, Herm Edwards w- was the first head coach in Chiefs history to lead the team to the playoffs uh, in his first year. But I think a lot of people credit that to Dick Vermeil's talent because... Uh, in the three years that Herm Edwards was here, the Chiefs uh, got worse record-wise, from nine wins to four wins to two wins, uh, and that obviously led to his termination. Uh, Andy Reid, he became the second coach to lead the Chiefs to a playoff to a postseason in his first season as the head coach of the franchise. But that was more impressively done because he took Romeo Cornell's two-win football team and took them to the playoffs. Had that nine and zero start, and from there, I mean, the Chiefs have never looked back. Here, I, I've said this before on the podcast, and I'll say it again: Andy Reid is the first head coach since Marty Schottenheimer to have four consecutive seasons above five hundred, and the first Chiefs coach since Marty to take the Chiefs to back to back postseasons. He took a one and five football team mid mid season. And won 10 games to finish the regular season. Oh, and he also got that first playoff win in forever. So everything Andy Reid's done. And, and I know we get so critical for for that small mental mistake he makes. That can cost the Chiefs a couple of games. But he still has that 671 winning percentage. The best in franchise history. And I'm, I'm eager to see how, how high that's going to be by the time he's done coaching. And hopefully he retires as a Chief. And look, I know he's also very eager to get that Super Bowl win because that's the only thing he did not accomplish in Philly. Took him to a bunch of postseasons. Took him to a lot of NFC title games, but only won the NFC title game once and got to the Super Bowl just once and fell to Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. So he definitely, I think from Andy Reid's case, he would like to avenge uh, the multiple postseason losses he's had against the Patriots. I personally would love to see that. It's like the Chiefs are on a revenge tour. No matter what happens... Uh, if the Chiefs move on, I don't want to get too ahead of myself here. But regardless of uh, who the Chiefs play in the AFC title game, that's going to be a revenge game because the Chiefs lost to the Texans earlier this year and uh, lost to the Patriots last postseason. So either way, uh, the Chiefs, whoever they're playing, it's 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 the it's the revenge tour essentially for them this season. Uh, looking at who the Chiefs played on the NFC from the NFC South. Uh, the only team they lost from the NFC South was the Buccaneers. So whoever they play in the Super Bowl, I mean, I, I guess there's not going to be like a big revenge factor on there. I mean, if they played the Packers, yeah, sure. Your most your most recent loss was to Green Bay, but that was early in the twenty. It was it was early in a regular season, so it's not like there's a bitter uh rematch there or, or anything. But nonetheless, uh, Andy Reid, he's accomplished so much with this football team. Uh, you've got to open up the the checkbook for him. You've got to pay him the money. Uh, the the way he's developed players. I, and I know we get so caught up in draft picks. He took Marcus Peters, who a lot of teams passed on. He drafted Chris Jones and Tyreek Hill, who I looked at NFL.com and they redid uh, their twenty seven or 2016 draft uh, just the first round. Both Tyreek Hill and Chris Jones made it in the first round of that redraft. So uh, you can tell j- j- just what Andy Reid's done with this football team and also taking talent that Dick Vermeil, 
Herm Edwards, Todd Haley, and Romeo Cornell drafted. Uh, he's turned them into better players. Uh, guys like Derek Johnson, Dustin Colquitt, Jamal Charles, Eric Berry, uh, Dontari Poe. You're seeing a much better version of those guys who were drafted before Andy Reid. And the Chiefs have got to do everything they can to try to keep some of those players. I know Jamal Charles didn't play much this year, but I still think he's got some left in the tank. Uh, I think this offense would be even better. Uh, hopefully they would still stick to the passing attack. I do feel like whenever Jamal does get hurt like he did in 2011 and last year and unavailable unavailable for most of this year, the Chiefs did open up their offense a little bit more because they didn't rely on him so much. So if they keep that versatility on offense, when and if Jamal Charles returns, I hope he returns for 2017. I just think this is going to be a very dangerous offense. You've got Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Jamal Charles, uh, and I think the, the, those three guys, they can open up opportunities for other players across the offense. Uh, guys like Chris Conley, Jeremy Macklin, uh, Albert Wilson, and of course the backup running backs who can rotate and, and help keep Charles fresh. I mean, they, they, they were re-signed for a reason this past offseason, so... Uh, I know Charkan requests, we didn't see much of him this year, but what he did against the Chargers in Week 17 to help the Chiefs uh, propel to getting that number two seed and the AFC West, that was pretty big. That, that's something the Chiefs really needed because they don't want to have to rely on Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill every single time. And I think that's something uh, you've got to look out for this week. How are the Chiefs going to try to be versatile and not just have those two players? Because that's all the national media has talked about. Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. How do you stop Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill? Because even if you double cover those guys, it opens up a, a, a receiver and maybe Conley, uh, Wilson, or, or Macklin, like I mentioned. Maybe even DeAnthony Thomas. The Chiefs have so many speedsters on this offense. Probably one of the fastest group of offensive football players you'll find in the National Football League. If you get put the ball in their hands, they can really do some damage and gash through an opposing defense. So that's something I look forward to seeing and how the Chiefs are going to try to do that later on this week. And a lot of that credit goes to, as I was talking about, Andy Reid. The way that he has opened up this offense, developed some of these players. Uh, Albert Wilson is is a much better player than he was his rookie season, being an undrafted player for for the Chiefs. Uh, I mean, I I mentioned Chuck Kendrick West and Spencer Ware. Those guys really came through last year, uh, filling in for Jamal Charles when we least expected it. I think a lot of, I, I got a lot of tweets last year asking, why is Niall Davis not playing? Why is uh, why are Chark Hendrick West and Spencer Ware playing? Who are they, and why are they getting more snaps than Niall Davis? We know why now. This is this is a head coach that you just don't question uh, what he does. I, I I know we like I said we get critical of the play calling, but at the end of the day, this is how many wins he has given the Chiefs: eleven wins his first year, nine wins in twenty fourteen, eleven wins in twenty fifteen, and twelve wins this past year. It's been a while since the Chiefs have had uh, double-digit wins for this long period of time. Three times in four seasons. Gotta pay Andy Reid. The other big story that came out Sunday morning, again from Ian Rappaport from NFL Network, uh, General Manager John Dorsey is a candidate to be the head coach, or pardon me, the general manager, I should say, uh, for the Green Bay Packers. Now, a lot of people, uh, I think, are trying to be optimistic about this and saying that uh, when he had his uh, introductory press conference, he mentioned that the being the general manager of the Chiefs was his dream job. And, of course, there's a lot of uh, connections with uh, with his family. His, he and his wife, Patricia, 
uh, they first met in Kansas City. Uh, he was on a scouting trip while with the Packers and uh, started dating, eventually got married. Uh, I know his wife, Patricia, uh, if I'm not mistaken, did go to KU, so she has a lot of connections here, probably a lot of her family. And I'll be honest, I don't go too much into these guys' personal lives, but uh, I think that can be a reason as to why he came to Kansas City, wanted to get that job. But I also will say this about John Dorsey. He played for the Packers from 1984 to 1989. He was a scout and eventually worked his way up as director of college scouting, uh, director of, uh, of football operations. Uh, he worked his way up. From 1991 through 1998, he worked for the Packers as a scout and a director of college scouting. In 1999, he took a job with the Seahawks as the director of player personnel. Now keep this in mind. He he was the director of college scouting with the Packers before he left for the Seahawks. In which with the Seahawks he was the director of, of player personnel. For just one year though he was with the Seahawks. He went back to Green Bay in 2000 taking the same job he had previously with the Packers which was director of college scouting. He had that title from 2000 to 2011 and 2012 he was the director of football operations with the Packers. And then that is how he ended up with the general manager job in Kansas City. So listen, from 1991 through 2012, he's worked for the Packers with the exception of one year being 1999. Uh Green Bay Wisconsin is home for him. Uh, he's he's worked there for uh, he he's essentially been there his entire adult life, his post-college life. Uh, he got drafted by the Packers, played for them for 5 seasons. Uh, a couple of years after retiring, he worked as an administrator. So this is a guy who has spent really a majority of his life in Green Bay. Uh, he he worked for Seattle for one season, and he's been with with the Kansas City Chiefs for four seasons. So to me, I think you know uh, he went back to Green Bay for a reason, and he took the same the same job he had previously with the with the Packers. It's not like he had the same job with the Seahawks and, and, and got the same title with the Packers. No. What that tells me is this is a guy who loves Green Bay, and I'm sure he's going to have to sit, sit down with his wife and family, try to figure out what they want to do. But at the end of the day, I think the stars just kind of align, and if he went back there before, and if he's going to go back and be given this big of an opportunity, I don't. I, I can't say he won't take it. I think he does end up taking it, but have no fear, Chiefs fans, because Chris Ballard, who a lot of people in the media and NFL owners have been talking high about, Chris Ballard was uh, requested by the 49ers to to interview for their open general manager job. Now, we all know the 49ers are a complete mess, and... People might say, well, the Chiefs were a mess right before John Dorsey arrived. Okay, to an extent, though, the Chiefs had six Pro Bowlers in 2012 when they won just two games. The 49ers, they didn't, they didn't send a single player to the Pro Bowl. What key player do you have for the 49ers right now? You don't. You don't have anybody. Chip Kelly was a complete mess. Back-to-back uh, years you fire a head coach in Tom Sula and Chip Kelly. So I mean, this is a this is an organization that it's gonna take. It's kind of like the Kansas Jayhawks in football. It's gonna take a while to build this team up. Whoever goes there, 
they they truly deserve at least three or four years to try to rebuild that football team. Listen, rebuilding is never easy. Rebuilding a team like KU football or the 49ers, that takes patience, big-time patience. And a lot of people were kind of surprised with what Andy Reid and John Dorsey did to turn around this team. But at the same time, not really because... Look at the talent that's been on this football team. Look at the Pro Bowlers they have consistently sent and still stayed together. I mean, the Chiefs, they just changed a couple of players on defense and a couple of players on offense, including the quarterback position. That's all the Chiefs did, and they've finished above 500 every single year since the new regime arrived. So John Dorsey, listen, I, 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 I truly do think he could take that job. This is me just being open and honest here. I know I've... Talked more bias uh, lately with the Chiefs, especially on this podcast. But if I'm going to be honest, Span, I, I think he takes that job. Goes back to where he's lived for essentially his entire adult life. But again, like I said, it's nothing to hit the panic button over. Uh, Chris Ballard, uh, this is a guy who, uh, like I said, has been highly talked about by the media and other NFL owners. Uh, I read somewhere that the 49ers, after Chris Ballard rejected uh, the interview request from the 49ers, I saw a quote somewhere that the 49ers, uh, the owner, Judd York, he said that Chris Ballard was the first, second, and third option for a general manager. So this is really, by the way, a a correction there, it wasn't necessarily Judd York, it was a source close to the San Francisco 49ers that said that uh, Chris Ballard was the first choice, second choice, and third choice to be the general manager. So that tells you, and again, people might say, well, should we take the 49ers seriously for their word there? First of all, yes. If you want someone that badly, I think that says something. Second of all, it's not like the 49ers are the only team that think highly of him. There have been other teams that have reached out, uh, apparently, but those were never made public. Uh, And perhaps Chris Ballard had known for a while that, it may be John Dorsey said, hey, look, I may be leaving. I don't know. It may be worth staying around here. So he's taking a bit of a gamble to, to stay in Kansas City, hoping that John Dorsey takes a job. But uh, perhaps it, it makes sense as to why Chris Ballard blocked that job. Listen, everybody, you know, if you're a scout or a director of football operations, the eventual goal is to be a general manager. If you're the quality control coach, if you're the offensive line coach or an offensive coordinator, the eventual goal is to be a head coach, like anything else. So for Chris Ballard, he wants to be a general manager, and he's definitely one step away from from having that. And if John Dorsey does move on to Green Bay, the Chiefs, uh, they're probably still going to go through an interview process, but they've got an easy candidate from within the organization. So if John Dorsey does go on, there's no need to freak out. You've got Chris Ballard as the perfect replacement to be the next general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs should John Dorsey move on and return to Green Bay. All right, time to wrap this show up. Let's go around the NFL. Oh, boy. Uh, Was that not the most boring weekend of playoff football that you've seen uh all the home teams won so both the three and four seeds won uh listen uh and i can't fault the nfl uh, there were so many backup quarterbacks playing uh yeah, look the raiders man I, I know we're chiefs fans and we hate the raiders but 
I love a great rivalry. I wanted the Chiefs and Raiders to play in the AFC title game. I really wanted that to happen. Uh, I, I just think these kinds of games do really define a rivalry. The Chiefs and Raiders rivalry is finally relevant again. The past 10 years, both or either one of them have been terrible. And regardless of who would win, it, it didn't seem fun. It's fun now playing a great Raiders football team. I love it. I really do. And I think at the end of the day, some of these injuries, it might be, hey, what if? There's always going to be the what-if talk, especially if another injury derails a couple of these guys for the rest of their career. I, I, I hate that talk, and uh, you just never wish that upon anyone. You never do. Uh, but most lopsided uh, weekend, uh, wildcard weekend, uh, since 1981, according to NFL.com. Pretty boring. There was actually more action off the field, starting with Broncos linebacker Brandon Marshall. So... Hey, look, why don't we keep it in the AFC West for a little bit here? Brandon Marshall trolls Raiders fans on Twitter. And, and look, let's be honest, uh, it is fun to troll Raiders fans. It really is. Uh, his first tweet was, uh, it will. he responded to several Raiders fans. Uh, and uh, he, re- he responded to one guy saying, come sit on the couch next week to me. Uh, responded to another Raiders troll and said, Damn, now you can come sit on the couch next to me. Uh, oh, he, he responds to another Raiders fan and says, I'll send you my location. Now you can join me. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, listen, uh, if, you're not, if you're not in the playoffs and if you're going to troll, do it right. And Brandon Marshall did exactly that. I mean, look, this guy wore a... Or not, pardon. He he uh, he won a he won a playoff game. I, I'm saying war because I'm reading what some of the Raiders fans said to him because they went after him first. Uh, Brandon Marshall won a Super Bowl last year, so if he's not in the playoffs this year, fine. I, I think he has a little bit of room to troll. Uh, speaking of trolls, a lot of people are going to be trolling Odell Beckham Jr. the next the next few months, really, essentially until next season begins. Uh, first, it was the whole field goal net, fighting with that, and now the the, the hole in the wall, and now all this, uh, the the internet sensation and memes of Trey Songs and being on the boat. Listen, I'm, I'm going to say this now. If I go out drinking, and I have a big exam, a midterm, or finals, in seven days, look, I'll be fine if I go out and, uh, you know, downtown, hang out with some friends at bars and whatnot. You know, uh, if uh, Travis Kelsey got criticized for this because he went out partying, what, 40 hours before the Sunday night game on Christmas night against the Broncos. But I'll say this, in football, if you, and I'm going to go a little long on this, football players complain about the road games, the travel, the short weeks. Uh, Listen, traveling for these NFL players, they're always on their feet, working out, practicing and whatnot. When you rest, you take that time to rest. What's one of the most boring and tedious things to do in the world is sit on an airplane. If you're going to a destination like Vegas, okay, it might be a little fun. But at the end of the day, even when you're going to an exciting destination, being on an airplane absolutely sucks. You have very little leg room, and for a lot of these players, especially the tall players, uh, being on a plane is not the most ideal thing. 
You know, even if you're sitting first class, you know, you're sitting, and I'm one of those people, I cannot sit for a long period of time. I'll be honest, there are times where I actually do pause the recording on this podcast and just walk around for two minutes, because I can't sit here for really an entire 60 seconds. Radio hosts can't sit on their uh, on their chair for the entire three, four hours, however long their show is, because they've got to get up and walk around a little bit during their breaks. Uh, the thing is, Odell Beckham Jr., he goes on a he he's basically on a plane what twice in the, in the span of 24 hours. He goes partying in Florida, drinking with what who Justin Bieber and and Trace whatever whoever. Uh, I, I'm gonna say it, man. That's a reason why you did not win your football game. That's a reason you you took that that day off to be on an airplane, not give your body the proper rest. You went out partying somewhere, and listen, I if this was a party in the New York area, okay, not a big deal, but you're going to a completely another, you're going from north to south to party, and then he punches a hole in the wall in the Green Bay facility, that's on him, man, it's on him, and uh, I think the score is very relevant to it. The Chiefs got an entire week off, so their players, and there haven't been any reports of players having a big party or anything, so it seems like Chiefs players use this bye week wisely, but you have a week off, so even if, if, if a Chiefs player did that, he has a little bit of time on his own, he was given the week off to do what he wanted to do, and Odo Beckham Jr. has no one to blame but himself, if he wants to blame a wall, then I guess he blames the wall, who knows, let's go out of bounds. All right, uh, I, I'm recording this before the uh, na- national championship for college football uh, between Clemson and Alabama. And I'll tell you what, I really like how ESPN has this nice mega cast where they have different versions of uh, different broadcasts of this game, really. What I really love the most is... Uh, Listen, I, I, I understand. It's it's normal to listen to the broadcasters. But I actually like the ESPN voices where there are a few ESPN pundits just sitting together watching the game and t- talking. It kind of reminds me, you know, it, it, it's, if you're watching the game with a few buddies. You know, you, you've got a couple drinks, you know, some, some food, wings, pizza, whatever, whatever you have. And you're just sitting there and talking football while you watch the game. The difference is these are guys who have been around so many people in the sport that they actually have a better knowledge than we do. So their their way of viewing a football game is a little different than ours. And they tell some stories that, you know, you, you basically get educated when you listen to these guys. I love the Megacast. I really do. And I know they have the game film room that I've never watched before. I'm going to try to catch part of that while watching the national football game. Uh, or national championship game. I'll tell you what, though, uh, media has changed so much, and I'm always fascinated by this. You know, with our with our smartphones. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Sirius XM Radio, and I, I listen to that a lot. Uh, and just the amount of channels they have, they have uh, they have a channel for mixed martial arts and pro wrestling. Uh, they've got an NFL channel. They have a fantasy football channel. There's a channel just for fantasy football. And I've given my thoughts on fantasy football earlier this this season, but uh, I mean, it's, some people there are so many things that people are passionate about. And one of the things when I got SiriusXM a couple of years ago, when I when I got my new Jeep, 
I just didn't realize how many channels they have. They've got an entertainment channel. So, I mean, someone like me, I'm a huge fan of The Walking Dead and Survivor. Uh, there's a guy named Dalton Ross who's an entertainment reporter. He actually talks about these things and he interviews uh, cast members from uh, from The Walking Dead or, or contestants from a reality TV show. So, uh, I mean, th- there's really something for everybody. And, you know, with ESPN's Megacast, SiriusXM, podcasting, uh, everything that you have in media nowadays... It's it's completely different, and I think whatever you want. So many people complain about ESPN and how they're one-sided. Well, ESPN, I mean, they're actually trying to do something with their mega cast, but even so, uh, there are so many alternatives nowadays. You have FS1, Fox Sports 1, which they also have a Fox Sports 2, and Fox Sports, I've got to say, and I'm a little biased here because... Uh, as you can notice, there's a theme to this podcast being biased here. I'm a little biased because they've been sharing a couple of my UFC articles lately, so not quite sure what's going on with that. I, I gotta chat with their gatekeeper and see what's up there, but uh, Fox Sports is very versatile in the stuff they air. ESPN, I mean, sure, they, they air the typical things, you know, NFL, NBA, uh, you know, baseball, whatnot, but you see some different things on Fox Sports. You'll get some of the baseball and football games on there, but at the same time, you also get, you know, the UFC. You you, you might get, you know, bull riding, uh, uh, monster jam. I, I know it might not entice everybody, but there are some people who want those things. There are some consumers out there for those things. It's really interesting, and I think ESPN's Megacast has kind of been the lead for how much media has really evolved the past couple of years. We we, we can watch TV or Time Warner Cable, AT&T, U-verse on our phones or iPads. So we can watch multiple things, one thing on our TV and another on our on our tablet or on our phone, on another channel. Uh, it's really fun. And I, I just think it's it's fun to take advantage of and, and watch the game differently than just listening to the normal announcers for the game. I don't know about you. I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are. Let me know on social media, facebook.com slash sportscatsterfarzine or on Twitter, at Farzine21. Time to throw some flags. Okay, so the biggest he- uh, headline from Sunday night slash Monday morning, and, and really all of Monday, uh, is Meryl, S- Meryl Streep and uh, her comments at the Golden Globes. Uh, she called out Donald Trump, which, first of all, uh, penalty flag on Donald Trump, okay? Throw the penalty flag at him, because <laughs> he fell for it. He, why does he have to respond to every single thing? Imagine if President Obama responded to every single critic who said he was not born in the United States. Why does our president-elect have to do that? Why does he have to care about every single critic? I get that he's going to be a soon-to-be controversial president and all. I mean, he's already controversial, but sh- shouldn't our president at least try to change our minds and, and lead us to believe that he's not going to pay attention to every single thing said about him, at least? I don't know. I, I-, I just felt the need to uh, to get that out there. But she called out Donald Trump, and so many people were so supportive of her. I'm throwing a flag at the people supporting her. All these people showing her some love. Where were you when it was time to vote? Where were you? Now, I've also got to throw another flag. This time on Streep herself. She said, uh, she, she, she said basically, uh, yeah, well, by the way, Dana White, uh, president of the UFC, not very happy with, uh, 
<laughs> with uh, her comments, calling her an uppity 80-year-old, and then uh, also calling her stupid, but, uh, yeah, so, Meryl Streep kind of, she just went long and started rambling about Donald Trump, and then went on this tangent about how, uh, about uh, mixed martial arts in the NFL, listen, uh, she should not have tied in the NFL and MMA to Donald Trump. Listen, and I want to get too political, but if you want to call out Donald Trump, fine. I, I think a lot of people will support you on that. However, I don't think it was her place to call out mixed martial arts in the NFL the way she did. I did a Google search on how much Meryl Streep is worth. One website says she's worth $65 million, Another says $45 million. The average NFL team... Uh, this is according to the Business Insider, is worth $2.3 billion. The UFC was sold for $4.2 billion. By the way, all 32 NFL franchises combined uh, have a value of $74.8 billion. The UFC and NFL teams are worth a heck of a lot more than she is. And look, nothing against Streep, but... Don't tie in MMA and the NFL to this Trump rant of hers, okay? Look, again, I don't I don't get too personal on the podcast, but I will this time. I was supportive of what she was saying for a while until she mentioned those two sports. I just hate when sports and politics get drawn in. They, they shouldn't. They just shouldn't. <laughs> That'll do it for this edition of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. I'm your host, Farzim Vasugan. As always, appreciate you guys listening to the podcast Tell a friend about it, subscribe on iTunes, hit that nice subscribe button right there, and let a friend know about it. It'll download to your iTunes library, on your phone, wherever you're subscribed. Uh, you will get the newest edition of the Chiefs Home Podcast. And speaking of the newest edition, I'll record it Wednesday evening, and it should be out at the latest Wednesday night, uh, right before midnight, or sometime uh, overnight uh, on Thursday. And uh, by the time you wake up Thursday, hopefully it'll be available on iTunes, so you guys will have plenty of time. It'll be a great podcast. Nothing to talk about. No out of bounds, no penalty flags, none of that. Strictly Chiefs versus Steelers. Kansas City's first postseason game at Arrowhead in six years, and we will be talking about that. We'll talk to Max Shepman, the former host of the Steel Pit Podcast. He'll come back here making his comeback on the Chiefs Zone Podcast. So we'll have him on to break that down as well. Facebook.com slash sportscaster farzine or search my name. Farzine Vesugian on Facebook. You guys can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Give me a like on Facebook. Give me a follow on Twitter. I'm also going to try something new. I got a couple of responses from you guys. I will do a Facebook Live at halftime during the game this Sunday between the Chiefs and Steelers. And then I'll do a Facebook Live after the game. I don't intend to go on that long. We'll see how it goes. It's going to be the first time. Maybe the last time. Who knows? But we'll give it a test run. Uh, I know a lot of people are doing it. A lot of people enjoy it. So... Uh, we'll, we'll try it out and see how that goes. So be sure you guys do join me on social media, on Facebook specifically, if you guys want to be part of the Facebook Live discussion at halftime and after the game. I'm Farzim Basugian. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I'll talk to you later this week, breaking down the Chiefs and Steelers divisional round of the playoffs at Arrowhead Stadium.